I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. Kleki Schenkin, who is the Chief Executive of Literature Wales, and we're going to talk about literature and some of the challenges that it uh, perhaps faces in Wales um, as a result of uh, various funding likelihoods in the near future. But first of all, we'll just talk about the love of literature. So, Kleki, um, how old were you when you really got into literature? I think it's before I can even remember. Um, I was very lucky to be brought up in a house full of books. Um, Both my parents studied literature at university, English literature and Welsh literature. So I was brought up bilingually in in a house of books. And one of my fondest memories, and I think lots of people who grew up in the country in the 70s, would have similar memories is of the mobile library coming to Talgarreg and this quite ugly clunky looking box of a of a vehicle rocking up and walking inside it and just this magical world you know with cowboy books books on space you know and it made me feel as a young child that there was a massive world out there and I was desperate to find out more. And then I know that, uh, well, you were obviously from uh, Ceredigion, yeah. a village in Ceredigion, and then you went to uh, school, and I believe that you were taught by someone who became extremely well-known uh, as a politician, yeah. uh, Cynog Davis. So what sort of influence did Cynog have on you? He had a huge influence, and actually Cynog lived in Talgarreg as well. So um, Talgarreg itself is a remarkably literary village. So um, the former National Poet of Wales, Gillian Clark, lives there. Uh, the infamous poet Dewi Emrys famously lived opposite the pub and um, we attended Sunday school as children, Unitarian um, uh, Sunday school and Cynog, um taught there um, um, and Unitarianism is very strong in that part of West Wales um, and it's called in Welsh the smot in D, the black spot because other chapels and other uh, religious denominations d- didn't recognise Unitarianism as being a proper faith. And the way that Cynog taught Unitarianism was about interpreting the Bible as a collection of stories and metaphors. So the, the idea that a story could represent something else happened very early on. And then, as you said, I went to a different TV in Llandysir, which was a new Welsh medium school for the area. And Cynog, for many years, was my English teacher, and the lessons we had with him about Shakespeare, John Donne, you know, we didn't dumb down at all. We went straight for the greats. You know, they've remained with me forever. And um, I was listening to Philip Pullman at an event here in Cardiff very recently, and he said something similar, that his teacher inspired him not to think about the words of Shakespeare as having defined meanings, or you have to know what this means, but just to have the words and the rhythms sink into you almost in a, in a greedy way, like you're eating the words. And we were studying Antony and Cleopatra, and I remember Cynog reading out um, Eno Barbus's famous speech, the barge she sat in like a burnished throne, burned on the water, the poop was beaten. I can still remember it. And I didn't know what 
badge or burnished or even poop meant but you could just see you know the floating rhythm of the words so yeah he had a huge influence on me and then you went on to study literature at university yes um my other um english teacher when kenog left to pursue his political career was a very young teacher at the time um kerry Wynne jones who um went on to win all sorts of chairs at the Eisteddfod and then to become English language, was the English language editor at Gomer. And um, the button was passed very well from Cynnog to Kerry. And he um, encouraged me to apply to Oxford. Nobody else in my school had done that before. So, um, and through his tutoring, I suppose, and encouragement, I got a place at New College to study English. And when you got there, what were your particular literary interests, uh, Clayke? Because of, I suppose, school and um, poetry. So um, metaphysical poetry was my favourite. Um, John Dern, Marvell, also loved Jeremy Hopkins, um, um, Shakespeare. Um, and I, I'd also discovered the great American novels at the time, Steinbeck and so forth. So. Um, and I still love American literature. Um, but I, although I very much enjoyed my time in Oxford and um, uh, socially and made good friends, I'm not sure if I got the, the best out of the tutoring. It was a very alien setup for me, the whole tutoring system. And in the three years I was there, I only studied one woman, Jane Austen. And it was a very patriarchal, colonialist attitude for literature and I'm very pleased these days that people in Cambridge are speaking out about the the Oxbridge mentality uh, but I did study some great writers even though they were all uh, white male and dead. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, give me a bit about your history in terms of how you ended up in the role that you currently have. I suppose when I was an undergraduate I'd never dreamed that there would be a job specifically for literature so uh, and, and, and having a career wasn't something wasn't a priority for me at the time. I think it was in the early 90s and there was a recession back then. So a lot of people I knew were out of work or going traveling or experimenting with other types of careers. And I think the media was a big pull back then. So I did work for the Welsh language media for a couple of years and uh, great respect for independent production companies but it wasn't the world for me um, so I went back to the drawing board and did some temping and uh, the assembly had opened so I did some work there and found that there was a job as literature officer in the Arts Council of Wales. I thought this is the job for me I didn't know that such a thing existed so I was very, very fortunate to share an office for two years with the late, great Tony Bianchi, who was my mentor in many ways um, in terms of how to be a literature officer. <laughs> and back then in the Arts Council, um, the Arts Council itself was running the bursaries, writers' bursaries and Book of the Year, which later got transferred to Academy and Literature Wales. So I've almost followed these projects around different organisations. Um, and then an opportunity came to be Deputy CEO of Academy, working with uh, Peter Finch, another fantastic mentor. And um, so I've been in that organisation in its many guises um, since then. Hmm. Just looking at the, the state of literature, 
Um, we're in a very different place from where we were in the 19th century, aren't we? I mean, I'm thinking in terms of uh, English language uh, literature, mm. uh, where you had writers like uh, Dickens and mm. Trollope, who were immensely popular, mm. uh, but dealt with very serious themes. It's often said, isn't it, that these days uh, there is something elitist about literature, mm-hmm. Uh, and that it's for the educated few and Mm. that the mass of people are not really engaged in it. Mm. How do you try to extend the Mm. range of readership of Mm. uh, books, um, Blakey? I think it's a really interesting point because, as you said, when you go back to the 19th century, there was this social activism within the social realism of work like Dickens, as well as being really popular, damn good reads. You know, they were... Um, they were high art but not dumbing down but accessible to the many and also if you look at poetry you know Shelley they they were poets of the people almost and William Blake is one of my favourites and um, they articulated on behalf of the struggles of the working classes if you like and perhaps it's something that's gone wrong in the 20th century Um, and maybe I'll betray some of my politics here capitalism and the European um, systems have perhaps um, grabbed hold of culture and made it um, almost a commodity for the few and so forth. Um, But actually, in Wales as well, we have a very different tradition to the English-based literature. Um, And our non-conformist traditions, our traditions of gathering together to protest, I think did reflect in our literature, particularly English language literature from South East Wales. Um, it was very political, and if you look at Raymond Williams, for example, a, a fantastic writer and also a cultural um, philosopher. And perhaps what we've done is we've lost sight of that. And we keep looking at sort of the Anglo-American model of how we should express ourselves, but actually in Wales, we don't need to go back many decades to realise that we are... A, a political nation and uh, we shouldn't be scared of expressing ourselves. I think another point is perhaps that uh, uh, there is very much these days an emphasis on uh, materialism mm. uh, as opposed to people uh, developing their spiritual side, not mm. necessarily from a religious perspective, yeah. but in terms of the, mm. the, inner, the yeah. inner person. I mean, I remember when I was an adolescent, I got very influenced by the uh, writing of people who were able to express uh, the sense of alienation that many mm. uh, young people or many people generally would mm. feel, like Kafka and Beckett, for example, yeah. they were very central to my view of literature mm. uh, when I was uh, when I was younger and remain so now. Mm. Um, and that sense of stepping back a bit from the material world is something which perhaps quite a lot of people have lost now, and I think that may be mm. not to the advantage of. Uh, of, of society or of people as individuals? What do, what do you think? I think, again, very interesting because I think when you mention spirituality, I think these days we get that muddled with religion. And um, there's a lot of good that's come out of organised religion, but a lot of very doubtful elements as well. And I think I'm again with Philip Pullman on this in that we can explore a concept of spirituality and our connection to each other and the world in a way that doesn't have to be a domineering, organised religion. Um, And although I'd 
went to Sunday school as a Unitarian, that doesn't really give you a big stamp of um, religious indoctrination. So I am, obviously, I'm an atheist, but I am very, very interested in religious poetry, for example. So I'd love, you know, reading John Donne poetry, mm-hmm. it taps into something within me and it doesn't have to be God. Um, it's something else. Henry Vaughan. Henry Vaughan, exactly. And, um, George Herbert. George Herbert and, and the brilliant hymns we have in Welsh. So, you know, William Williams, Pantacellin and Griffiths, these are all poetry I relate to very closely. Waldo Williams, you know, there's almost not a week that goes by that I don't read Mound Eye Guy. That's been wonderfully translated by Rowan Williams. And it's spiritual on all sorts of levels, but it's also earthy. And it's about connection, humanity, how do we relate to each other? And as you say, stepping away from the materialistic immediacy of our needs and and I need this, I need to do this, and I need to go to work, and I need to buy a car, and I need to send my kids here. It's That's not important. We need to stop for a moment and sit in a field. <laughs> You're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. Are we doing best by our children? Because one thing that concerns me a bit uh, as a parent Mm. is that very often it seems to be the case that uh, pupils are uh, given um, extracts from books Mm. rather than books themselves. And when I've questioned this, I've been told uh, that's because there is a great emphasis on literacy now. So Mm. what they have been doing is... Um, cutting down on the teaching of literature and increasing the teaching of um, basic literacy, which in a sense is understandable because Wales obviously needs to have Mm. people who are literate. But I do uh, get the sense perhaps that um, young people in schools are not being exposed to as much literature as Mm. they perhaps ought to be and as you were and as I was. Yes, I, I'm horrified by these developments. Um, you'll probably know there's been quite a, a, a few articles in the media recently. A writer I admire greatly, Patrick Jones, and he does fantastic work for Literature Wales and going to schools and inspiring children. I understood that one of his children um, had been denied, if you like, as you've spoken, access to literature, and um, his school had prioritised, I suppose, literacy and accuracy and spelling. It's just horrific. You know, the, the, the reason I'm in my job and the way I lead my organisation is that the firm belief that falling in love with words and a story is first and foremost. Literacy comes afterwards. So, you know, if you are able to articulate what you thought of a character, what made you sad about something, what frightened you. These are all things that children have to explore and be able to um, have access to. And nothing beats a book in doing this. And to not be able to read a book at your own leisure, not to rush it. And again, Philip Pullman said that, didn't he? Children need time and space and not to be bothered. But then to come into some kind of conversation in a safe environment so they can... They can 
venture to express an opinion about something without somebody saying, well, no, that's wrong. And that was a kind of education I had when, in my English lessons. It was very much everybody could pitch in, what do you think about this character? Did he do this right? You know, what were, were his motives or her motives? And these are all interesting things. It's not just about accuracy of writing. These are skills that will help you become a scientist because it makes you curious and it makes you look at things from different angles. These are skills that can help you into journalism because it inspires, again, the curiosity, the questioning, the finding of the truth is the reason we have great journalists. So it's just terrific and I really hope that there might be some greater intervention soon and a strategy for getting rid of this Otherwise, we lose a generation of literature lovers, and that's not something that I w- would be happy with at all. And of course, another serious concern mm. uh, that is looming is that uh, public funding mm. is under serious threat. Uh, there was a report out quite recently um, uh, from um, uh, three think tanks uh, associated mm. with Cardiff University. Uh, to the effect that if austerity policies continue as they are at Mm. the moment for the next few years, then because of the demands on the health service, the likelihood is that uh, the kind of uh, cuts that are imposed Mm. on uh, on other areas, Mm. uh, like uh, culture, uh, is likely to be very severe. We're Mm. talking about as much as 50% cuts. Mm. Now, if that came to pass... Mm. What do you think the consequences would be for uh, Welsh society? It's, again, very frightening to think of. And, and I, th- I think the art sector in Wales and other people have expressed this need to start addressing this now. We need to start to have these honest conversations because when it comes, it'll come sudden. Um, with We've just heard, I think, yesterday that the government has allocated the funding for Heritage NAS for two years, um, which is basically frozen for two years, but at least there's a settlement for two years, and that's something that the Arts Sector and the Arts Council have lobbied the government to have that level of security. But what happens after that two years, and what will be the effect of Brexit on the Welsh economy, and how that will be translated to culture? What I'm also concerned are public services which are non-statutory, youth clubs, uh, women's centres, libraries, and these are all organisations or um, spaces that we as literaries work with. We, we almost always work in partnership with another organisation. So we hold our workshops and gather people together in community spaces. Well, these are closing down in the very areas where they're needed most. And where does a young person go to write his homework or to read a book if they need time and space, if they're living in a busy house and if there's too much noise on the street, where do they go to have that space to think and reflect? So it's very worrying. Yes. Um, I mean, so far as your own organisation is concerned, there's been quite a lot of controversy recently Mm. about it. There have been people who have been severely critical of it. There was a panel uh, which produced a report which uh, caused a lot of uh, anger Mm. in the uh, the sector. How do you see that panning out now? Well, 
that's been a very unfortunate episode, um, not just for us as an organisation, but for the uh, literary scene in Wales and wasn't needed. And um, I've made my own opinion on behalf of Literary Wales um, public through um, giving evidence to the Culture Committee. So I won't go over all the arguments here, but it's created divisions that weren't there. And this is this is the thing that I'm very sad about um, the Medwin Hughes report and I think the work that needs to be done from now on is to build bridges and to move towards um, uh, a landscape of greater collaboration between what would be the industry side of literature with the creative and the development side of literature. How would that work then? Um, It would work by having more joined up conversations and strategies um, for example, there's uh, one area that desperately needs developing in Wales is literature for children. And if we're thinking about the Welsh government's aspirations for um, a million Welsh speaker, uh, speakers and the great demand for Welsh medium education, particularly in areas like Cardiff, we need those children to have access to fantastic books and TV programmes. And I think at the early years, that's quite well served, but there comes a point, and I see it with my own children, that there's just, the, de- the supply doesn't meet the demand, and the supply isn't perhaps adequate for the um, reading tastes of today's generation. So that needs to be joined up with a curriculum, that needs to be joined up with the publishers, and with organisations such as ourselves who promote and develop opportunities. In terms of the nurturing of literature, do you mm. think that social media is a good or a bad thing? Good. Yes. I'm all for technology. And, um, yes, everything has its bad side. And, um, you know, we were told not to watch too much television when we were younger and to go out and play. And now kids are told, don't spend all your time on iPads. But technology and social media help connect people together stories can be passed from one to another and it's a tool for creativity as well and I think I'd like to see more of our writers use social media in that creative way. And just finally, Lakey, give us a couple of uh, tips about uh, books to read. Books to read. Well, I'll start off with the Book of the Year winners. So obviously Pigeon by Alice Conran is absolutely fantastic and so is the translation by Shah Norvi. Um, and um, Kenan Jones, I've enjoyed his books recently. So if you haven't tried Kenan Jones's books, I think um, he'd be a very good one. And Poetry, Gillian Clark has a new collection out and um, also speaking at the Hay Winter Festival. And she is just a phenomenally fantastic writer to listen to and read. Thank you very much indeed, Clakey. Uh, I'm grateful to you. Diolch. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week.